Well, good morning, everybody. Um, as always, it's fabulous to know that we're scattered all over the, the, the country and perhaps even in other countries as well. But we can come together this morning um, as part of God's family. That's really great. I don't know what the weather was like where you are, but certainly here in Surrey, we've just had two beautiful sunny days. So I, I hope you have too and that uh, you've been able to enjoy them. Um, it was especially lovely to, to see David McAllister here this morning, all the way from hospital. Um, that was a, a lovely surprise. So we um, were thrilled that you're, you're able to, to be with us this morning. And I did hear you say that you might be home tomorrow. So we'll, uh, we'll be praying that that will happen. As you can see, the, um, the number to call um, is, oh, right, sorry, it says Nigel. Now, on the first screens, I'm sure it said John. Um, My mistake. Right, okay, thank you. So it is Nigel, so 0770-704-987, um, if you would like prayer after the service and you put into a breakout room. We're starting a, a new series this morning. Um, in the second half of um, Mark's Gospel, entitled The Servant King. And this morning's, um, the, the focus is on the example of the king and thinking about what it means to, to be a disciple. Um, and yes, we do have a servant king, but more than, uh, he, he is the king. He's, he's worthy of our praise. We have a, a perfect almighty God. Um, just a few words from, from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And we are called to submit, but this is the God um, to whom we are called to submit the perfect, just God, um, who is great and who is faithful. And so um, Steve is going to lead us now in, in worship of our God. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Uh, lovely to see you all here again today. So let's just uh, praise our God. Uh, our first one is a hymn. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim.
shadows darkness We have come to rejoice And all around the world he is calling People who will take up his call And follow him Every breath be praised Every heart be raised To the King of all creation Every breath be praised Every heart be raised to the Lord of all Come praise the Lord, He has loved the welcome sinners Will you give your life? Come praise the Lord, He is great above all others All His ways are right Every heart be raised to the King of all creation. Every breath be praised, every heart be raised to the Lord of all. Everything you've made resounds 
All creation standing now Lifting up your name We're caught up in the angel song We're gathered to your ancient throne Children in our Father's arms Shouting out your praise Receive our adoration Jesus, Lamb of God Receive our adoration Lamb of God, receive our adoration. How wonderful you are! Receive our adoration, Jesus, Lamb of God. Receive our adoration How wonderful you are Lord God, we do indeed offer you our adoration And uh, so perhaps one or two or more even if you're led would uh, like to speak out words of adoration, words of telling our God how wonderful he is. There will be an opportunity um, in a bit for um, prayers of petition and intercession, but let's tell our God how wonderful he is. Thank you. Some words from Psalm 49. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of my persecutors surround me? Men who boast in their abundance and trust in their wealth. No man can ransom himself or give God the price of his life so that he might live forever. We came into this world with nothing and we can take nothing when we leave. Only King Jesus, who knows all men's hearts, will judge whom he keeps and whom he casts out. His message for redemption has spread to the ends of the earth. Thank you for your word. Jesus, we worship you this morning. We bow the knee because you are the King of Kings, Majesty, the Lord of Lords. There is no name that is higher than your name. No one compares to you. And Jesus, we just praise you because you are now exalted at the right hand of the Father in glory. You are seated in victory. It, it is finished. The work of redemption through your cross and resurrection is complete once and for all. And we thank you that you are coming again, um, the warrior king in victory at the end of the age. And uh, we just bow the knee and we say, Jesus, you are the eternal son of God. 
and we submit to you, we surrender to you once again, and we bow the knee and we say we love you, we adore you, and uh, we submit to your kingship over us. Amen. Amen. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us. We are his. We are his people, the people of his, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pits and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth may be renewed like angels. Amen. Lord, we pray for Josh Hayes and his treatment going on. I pray that God will give him peace and uh, that his body will be corrected. We pray for peace for Frida, who is in hospital at the moment. Uh, hope she feels the presence of God with her at this time. Amen. One of the ways in which God shows his love for us is by inviting us to, to bring our prayers of intercession to him. And so um, there's your opportunity now to, to do that. And um, we've already had a, a prayer there for Josh and for Frida. Um, there are others in our, our fellowship. Um, Sylvia Connolly and her daughter Lynn following the, the death of Liz's husband's husband, Mark. Um, Dave McAllister, for, for Janet, for Pat, for, for many others. And there are issues going on around the world. Um, I think of those more than 300 young girls in Nigeria who've been abducted. And uh, I'm sure you've got other things on your heart. So if, if the spirit leads you, um, please unmute and, and bring prayers of intercession before God. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just wanted to lift up Lynn and Hannah and Patrick um, at the tragic loss of Mark. Just be with them, dear Lord, in this difficult 
time. They've really found it really very sudden and very tragic. Um, just be with them and give them your peace and just get them through these really difficult times um, in your name, Father. Amen. Father, we do pray for Frida's family at this time, for Debbie and her um, Stuart and Nicola, and particularly Lydia, who's in New Zealand, and would so love to come home, but can't uh, because of COVID, is not able to fly. Lord, we just lift them to you. We pray that that your peace will actually touch them at this time. We pray that you will just brood over Frida, Lord, that she will just know your presence. And know your deep peace within her, Lord. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to make lunch to minister to our community. Father, we pray you breathe your breath of life into those that received the food. Father, we pray you breathe your breath of life in their spirits. You know their needs, we pray, that you will just uh, soften their hard hearts, open their blind eyes. And Father, we pray you give us boldness to speak a word in season of your goodness to them as you make opportunity for us to meet with them. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for my neighbour, Brian, who has recently been diagnosed with, with cancer. For my cousin in Yorkshire, who also has recently been diagnosed with cancer. And for Jill, whose cancer has returned. Father, we just thank you that you can bring healing we thank you that you can bring healing through doctors and nurses. And so, Father, I just pray for Jill and Brian and June this morning that you will bless them, that there will be an opportunity to speak to each one of them about things of faith and your love for them. I just lift them to you, Lord, and ask you to bless them and their families. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we do pray for these school uh, schoolgirls in Nigeria who have been abducted and how frightened they must feel. Lord, I pray that you would make your presence known to them. Um, I expect that many of them will be, will be Muslims. And, but um, Lord, uh, I, I just pray that in a supernatural way, you will make them aware of you and, and who you are and, and the truth of, of who, who you are. And I pray, Lord, that these girls will be released soon back to their families, released unharmed. And Lord, we thank you that you've listened to every single prayer offered to you this morning. And we thank you for your goodness to us and for the privilege of being able to bring things to you in prayer, the all-powerful, all-loving God. Amen. We've now, um, we're going to have another all-age talk from, from Mark. So thank you for that.
Hi, everyone. So we've now finished our series in Ezekiel, and we're starting a new series in the Gospel of Mark. So I thought it'd be good to have a look at some of Jesus' teaching from the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus had been healing people and teaching people all over the region. He healed a deaf and mute man, and that means he couldn't hear or speak. He fed thousands of people with only seven loaves and a few small fish, and he healed a blind man in Bethsaida. After a while, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked the disciples who they thought he was. They replied, some people say, you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead, and others say Elijah or one of the other prophets. Jesus turned to them and said, but who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, Peter answered. That is correct and has only been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. But don't tell anyone yet, because it's not the right time. About six days later, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain. It was in the middle of a plain. They were all alone and no one else was with them. Then, all of a sudden, Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. The disciples were amazed and as they looked they saw two other men appear with Jesus. They were Elijah and Moses and they were talking to Jesus. Peter blurted out, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what else to say because he, they were all so frightened. Next, a cloud appeared from nowhere and covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, the cloud disappeared, and when they looked around, the disciples could see no one else there except Jesus. Now, on the way down the mountain, Jesus once again told them not to tell anyone what they'd seen. He said that they had to wait until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Jesus was talking about himself. They didn't understand, but they didn't tell anyone else either. They just discussed amongst themselves what rising from the dead meant. Jesus explained that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected, and that he would be made the lowest of the low before he was glorified by God. A little later, after they'd met all the other disciples, they went to a town called Capernaum. On the way, 
the disciples argued amongst themselves about who was the greatest. They went into a house and sat down. Jesus asked, what were you arguing about on the way here? No one said anything because they were too embarrassed. But Jesus already knew, so he began to teach them. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, there was a child in the house and Jesus called him over. He said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, my Father in heaven. So Jesus was explaining and demonstrating to his disciples that to follow him was to become a servant. At least in this life, it meant putting others ahead of themselves. The disciples had been arguing about who was the greatest amongst them, who was the best disciple, who was the most favoured by Jesus. The Jews, and to some extent the disciples, were expecting their Messiah to be a mighty warrior that would overthrow their enemies with force and might and restore the kingdom of Israel to its former glory. The Messiah would do as the kings in the past had done. He would win a mighty victory. But they'd missed the point. Jesus was turning everything on its head. His message was a message of service and sacrifice. The kingdom of the Messiah would not be won by force, but by submission and love, because the kingdom of the Messiah was not an earthly kingdom, but an eternal heavenly kingdom. The Messiah would be rejected by man and put to death only to be raised to life once more, three days later, to defeat death and establish his kingdom. And the transfiguration was a sign of that hope that is to come. The promise of resurrection and new life in Jesus for eternity. It's a sign of the hope that spurs us on to continue the race until the end. Our sacrifice and service, our suffering for Jesus on earth paves the way for the glory that is to come. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, we do appreciate the, the, the work that you, you put into to, um, all of these um, all-age talks. They're really good. So thank you for that. As I said at the beginning, it, it's lovely that uh, we can come together from all over the, the country and uh, even outside. And uh, so um, we're going to have the reading now from, from Janet, um, who's part of our, our Whitstable congregation here on, on Zoom. So thank you, Janet, if you could unmute yourself. Thanks. Thank you, Alison. It's the reading from Mark 20, uh, chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. 
Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory with the holy angels. Thank you very much, Janet. Uh, let's pray for Martin as he comes to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came as the servant king. And you call, call us to, to follow you as your disciples. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you will bless the, the words that Martin's going to say this morning. That they will be the right words at the right time for, for us. And that each of us individually will, will hear what you're saying to us about your call to us to follow you as your disciples. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you, Martin. Thank you to um, Janet for reading and uh, thank you to Alison for, for leading us uh, through. So here we are in uh, Lent in the lead up to Easter and we've got a series called The Servant King. We'll be looking at uh, passages in uh, chapters uh, sort of 9 through to 16 as we travel towards uh, the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Really, Mark's Gospel has the question of Jesus' identity and mission right at the start. So in the first verse, Mark says uh, in verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's really what this Gospel is, is all about. Who is this Jesus and how will he be crowned king, the Messiah. Um, but already, if you, if you glance through the first eight chapters of, of Mark's gospel, implicit in the stories that are told there is Jesus' identity and mission. This is the Jesus who teaches with authority, casts out demons, heals the sick, even raises the dead and calms the wind and the waves. And he even walks on water and feeds the multitudes. Um, 
He is the one who announces and brings God's kingdom on earth. But even after the disciples have witnessed all this, um, there's still so much more for them to learn and for us to learn about the identity and mission of Jesus. It matters who Jesus is and what his mission is for us, because who Jesus is determines the type of disciples that we should be. If Jesus is the son of God, God's chosen king and Messiah, then not only is he worth following, we are called to submit and surrender everything we have and are to follow Jesus as the king. So his identity and mission are absolutely integral to the nature of what true discipleship looks like. Um, our culture sees um, fulfillment in life as being a self-centered project. Self-fulfillment is the thing. But for followers of Jesus, there is a deeply countercultural call on us, and that is to deny ourselves, deny the world's agenda for self-fulfillment, and to take up our cross and follow. And I want to look today at three aspects of what it means to be a disciple. Number one, discipleship as humbly submitting ourselves to Jesus as king. Number two, costly sacrifice. And number three, losing our lives to gain eternal life. So first of all, discipleship means humbly submitting ourselves to Jesus, our king. Um, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? He was asking a question that people have asked down through uh, the centuries. Some have said of Jesus that he's a great teacher of wisdom. Others, others say that Jesus is a great proclaimer of social justice and care for the poor. Others see Jesus as a kind of wild-eyed apocalyptic prophet who announces the end of the world. Others claim he was a political revolutionary advocating the violent overthrow of the government or as kind of grassroots leader advocating sort of a, a grassroots peasant revolution. To Muslims, Jesus is a great prophet of Allah, who is second only to Muhammad in importance. But of course, in the Muslim view, Christians have obscured Jesus' identity by declaring that he is the son of God. To Hindus and New Age religions, Jesus is an enlightened mystic, a kind of guru whose spiritual knowledge can bring about a higher consciousness and union with God. And in the midst of all these voices comes the voice of Peter. You are the Christ. In other words, Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen king who comes to bring the kingdom. Now, on paper, Peter is right. His confession is absolutely correct. Um, Jesus is God's anointed king who will bring God's kingdom to earth. But Peter isn't, shows us that he's not yet ready. He doesn't quite understand how Jesus will be crowned king so when jesus says that he will have to be suffer he will have to suffer and be rejected and killed on a cross and rise again peter will will have nothing of this and he takes jesus aside and rebukes him um, and jesus says to peter get behind me satan in other words at this moment peter has been deceived by satan um, Jesus' route to the cross will not be one of triumphant glory and overthrowing the Roman uh, Empire. Jesus' route to his crowning as king will be through a cross and a resurrection and an ascension to heaven. 
for Peter and the other disciples, there was no place for suffering and rejection and death. And of course, we need to remember that the suffering and rejection and death of Jesus are unique to his role as Messiah. Mark's gospel really is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy some 700 years earlier. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 verse 3, he said this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. And it goes on, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So all those servant passages in Isaiah um, 42 through um, to 55 are fulfilled in Jesus, the servant king, who takes on himself our sin. The judgment of God on our sin is, is borne by Jesus as he dies. The sheep, the lamb who goes to the slaughter, carries our sin to the cross and pays the ultimate price of dying, the penalty that we deserved in our place. And so Jesus dealt with all the sin that cuts us off from a relationship with God. Now that's significant because if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were cut off from God's presence in the Garden of Eden by a flaming sword. And the reason they were cut off is because they rebelled against God's loving rule. Adam and Eve were created to live in obedience to God as their king and creator. They were told to look after the garden and to multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth. But they chose their own path in by being deceived by the servant. They chose to, their own path of rejecting God's loving rule. And they chose to have self-fulfillment as their independently of God as their aim in life. They made themselves kings. They made they rejected God's loving rule over them. And as a result of that, they were excluded, cut off from the tree of life and from God's presence in the garden. And so as a result, human beings are born into this world, cut off from God. We are outside of paradise, outside of the Garden of Eden. And the only way that we could be restored was by Jesus himself being cut off on the cross. He was cut off, separated from his father by our sin. And so he was at the means of reconciliation and forgiveness. He paid the penalty that we deserved and we received the righteousness that only he deserved. And ever since Adam and Eve, human beings are born into this world, not loving God and submitting to his righteous rule over them, but we are born into the world it, with, a, with an attitude of independence and self-rule. We love to seek our own way of uh, fulfillment in life. We, we seek to be king over our own lives, throne of our own um, destiny and our own lives. And so self-fulfillment has been the program of human beings ever since Adam and Eve. And this kind of self-fulfillment, self-centered agenda, having um, things on our terms independently of God has even begun to seep into the Christian church. If you listen to very popular preachers in, in, the, in the States, such as Joel Osteen, who draws crowds of tens of thousands, what you will hear is not a focus on the glory of Christ, but on achieving your best life now. Jesus in this scheme becomes, becomes a kind of life coach to help you towards self-fulfillment. He's the kind of gloss on your life that you need 
to be the best person that you can be in this life. It's, it's not even half a gospel, is it? Because Jesus promises not just fulfillment in this life, but he promises an eternal inheritance. And while gospel, so-called gospel preachers like Joel Esteem promise our best life now, they fail to deliver because they do not focus on Christ and they do not focus on the eternal inheritance and uh, the sacrifice that obtaining that inheritance entails. The cross, you see, declares over us that we are rebels, that we need forgiveness. The cross says that as human beings, we have rejected God's loving rule over us. The cross says that we have set ourselves up as people who want to self-rule, people who will seek fulfillment in life independently of God. And that's why Jesus had to die to bring rebels like you and me back into relationship with God, because we were cut off by our self-centered, self-seeking, self-fulfillment agenda. But you might ask at this point, what's so bad about a self-fulfillment agenda that Jesus says that actually seeking ourselves leads to death? What is so fatal about self-fulfillment? Didn't Jesus, after all, say, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full? Yes, he did. The problem with the self-fulfillment agenda is that it promises your best life now. You may have even seen some of these books on Christian bookseller shelves. You can have your best life now is the claim. Um, now, the goal of self-denial is the same. Self-denial, taking up our cross, losing our lives, Jesus says, leads to gaining life. That's the paradox of the Christian faith. So self-fulfillment and self-denial can't both be true. So which is true? Well, self-denial recognizes that the best is yet to come. Yes, there is fullness of God in following Jesus in this life, but Jesus says there's even better to come in eternity if we take up our cross. If we die to ourselves, we will gain not just life in this life, but life for eternity. So the best life now self-fulfillment program denies the gospel. It's not even half a gospel. This desire to get now what Jesus promises in eternity is the ultimate source of sin. It's a rejection of God's way of doing things. It's a kind of shortcut towards fulfillment. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden, wasn't it? When they ate the, the apple of the knowledge of the tree of, from the tree of um, the knowledge of good and evil, they were really saying, look, we can have fulfillment on our terms, our way. We can have, we can do things independently of God's rule over us. So they tried to shortcut God's way. And as a result, they were exiled. They were cut off from the garden. They wanted their version of our best life now. And what they got was um, a separation from the garden. That was disobedience. Self-denial, on the other hand, says, I will submit to God's plan for flourishing and life in this life and for eternity. I will submit, take up my cross and follow Jesus. I don't need some American prosperity preacher to tell me how to fulfill my life. I will follow Christ. Second, discipleship means costly sacrifice. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the heart and soul of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
You see, to follow Jesus means more than just saying you are the Christ, the son of God. Peter did that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Even the demons recognize the authority and power of Christ. It's not enough just to say with our mouth that we believe in Jesus. To be a disciple is to take up our cross and follow. It is to die to ourselves. What does that mean? Well, the cross, of course, and carrying your own cross, is, as in the picture there on the screen, means to die to our own self-centered agenda. It means to die to the self-rule. Uh, Adam and Eve decided to choose self-rule over God's rule, and they died. They were cut off from God. To deny ourselves is to say, it's not about me and my agenda and my goals. It's about Christ and submitting to him. And the paradox of the Christian faith is that by submitting to Jesus as king and our Lord and creator, we gain life. We find fulfillment in denying ourselves, which is totally countercultural, isn't it? The world says you, you find your fulfillment, your, you flourish when you seek your own personal self-centered agenda through your career, your ambitions, your personal goals. Now, Jesus is not against ambition and personal goals and fulfillment, as we've seen, but we are most free and we most flourish and find life when we follow the, the instructions of the creator. That's not that surprising, is it? The problem comes when we set ourselves up as the kings, as when we think we know how it works and when we reject God's loving rule and we do things on our terms in our own way. Now, for many Christians today, taking up a cross and follow following Jesus literally leads to loss of property, isolation from their families, um, imprisonment, execution, even death. That's the reality. And that's why we should share in the sufferings um, of our brothers and sisters around the world. That's why we give to, pray for, support the work of um, Open Doors and Barnabas and other um, organisations. We are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and to suffer with those who suffer. And part of taking up our cross, even in our relatively comfortable West, and I say that because it's getting less comfortable, in our relatively comfortable Western culture, we share in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters in Christ by taking up our cross, taking up our cross in prayer, in giving, in support um, and standing with them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who was uh, a German Christian, and many of you will know that he was murdered, executed by Hitler um, because he stood against the Nazi regime and he refused to bow the knee to, to Hitler. And he continued to meet along with other Christian followers um, in serving and submitting to Christ rather than Hitler's regime. And he's a fascinating uh, man to read about. But he, he, here's a quote. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. The call of Christ sets up a barrier between man and his natural life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer paid the ultimate price of taking up his cross and following because he refused um, to bow to the attachments of this world. And that's the call on each of us. Following Christ and taking up our cross is costly because it's countercultural. It goes against the grain of the world. The world we live in promotes self-fulfillment, self-rule as the highest goal. We're encouraged to dis discover our deepest desires and longing 
and then do all we can to realize them, regardless of constraint or opposition. So the Christian idea of submission to Jesus as Lord and King, of doing things on his term, is seen as constraining and denying our freedom. Christianity, in a culture where self is king and self-fulfillment is sovereign, Christianity is seen as a kind of constraining straitjacket which suppresses our personal goals and freedoms. Be true to your authentic self is the expression that sums up this individualism. I don't know if you've seen um, the Disney film Frozen, but um, Elsa is the main character in, in, the, in, the, in the Disney film. And she, she sings in this film a typical kind of lyric that is so true of our Western culture, not just American, but European. She says, let it go. And uh, she talks, she will no longer be the good girl. Um, there are no right or wrong, no rules for her, she sings. She will test the limits and break through. And this kind of Disney view of the world is actually um, the way that the West, West, our Western culture sees things. We are free to be our authentic selves. There are no rules, no constraints on us. We are free to discover our own identity independently of God. No one tells us who we are or how we should live. That's the world in which we live. So that's um, the great philosopher Elsa from Frozen for you. The problem with um, the self as king is that we do not always know what we want or need to be happy. Making ourselves the arbiter and the, and the, the judge of all that is good for our flourishing, we, we're not set up, we're not created to take those decisions. We don't know what's best for us because we never created ourselves. God created us for a life of submitting to him as Lord and King. And when we make our own self-centered desires the king, what do we end up with in our culture? How is our culture doing? Well, our culture has never had so much anxiety, so much depression, so many mental health issues as it has now. And yet we are promised freedom. We are promised fulfillment. We are promised um, that you can be whoever you want to be. But what is this so say freedom led to? It's led to people being in slavery, to um, hopelessness, to depression. It has not led to the freedom that our culture has suggested. Third and last, discipleship means losing our lives to gain eternal life. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus says that the path to fulfillment, to worth, to significance, to happiness, to eternal life, to flourishing is not found within us. It's not by doing our own thing. It's not you doing you or me doing me. It's not realizing my true potential by looking within myself. It is in following Jesus. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, there's the greatest paradox of the Christian faith. The world says to gain life, you need to be self-centered. To gain life, you need to be focused on your own goals, dreams, ambitions, agenda. Jesus says to be fulfilled and to gain life in this life and for eternity, you need to die to yourself. You need to lose your self-centered, uh, self-ruling agenda. 
So to say that Christianity is radical and goes against the grain is the biggest understatement in the world. Jesus is a true revolutionary because he goes against our culture completely. Those who actually seek to gain life, those who seek to protect their reputation or to put all of their eggs into the basket of this life will lose everything. Um, you can't, nothing lasts for eternity beyond the treasure that we store up in heaven, does it? That's, that's a reality. Nothing lasts beyond this life. So if you want to store up lasting treasure, if you want to gain life in all its fullness, eternal life, store up treasure in heaven. Invest in the kingdom. That's the only thing that will last. Now, again, this losing of self, losing your life in order to save it, sounds really odd in our culture. Um, the philosophy today is of freedom without limits. The only sin which is not tolerated today is intolerance. The view today is that no one has a right to interfere with, with me or you, but only, the, uh, only, when it come, only when it does harm to others can we interfere with others' views. Everyone is free to live in any way they choose, so long as it doesn't curtail someone else's freedom. We just have to be true to our authentic selves. No one should constrain us. Now, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That kind of freedom, if only it were attainable, sounds amazing. Um, it sounds, well, yeah, I can have freedom on my terms, independently of God. I can choose who I want to be, who I want to spend time with, who I'm committed to. It sounds kind of wonderful. But I wonder, is this really possible? Um, a year ago, um, Philip Schofield came out um, gay um, on daytime TV on This Morning. I don't know if you were watching that. Um, and he's been widely praised by many of his friends for his bravery in being true to his authentic self by coming out gay live on TV. The problem with this kind of um, view in our culture is that I, 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 what about his wife and his, his daughters? You know, is, is he... Was he less than authentic in his marriage and having children than he is now as a gay man? You know, to, to, to make choices has consequences for others. We are not just free to be who we want to be and, not, and that there are consequences. There are constraints on our freedoms. There are people who we hurt through our choices. We are not just independent, autonomous, self-ruling creatures who do whatever we want to do without harming others. It simply doesn't work. Um, Charles Taylor, the philosopher, Christian philosopher, says this, to have any kind of livable society, some choices have to be restricted, some authorities have to be respected, and some personal responsibility has to be assumed. In other words, to be free, there must be some constraints. If you, if you take a fish out of water and leave it on your patio, it will die. You know, there, there have to be constraints in our lives. God has set up the world for us to live under his rule. The rules that he makes are for our flourishing, our good. They're for our life, our fulfillment, not to curtail our freedom. We see this in relationships. No love relationship can grow unless each person sacrifices some freedom. Many marriages fail because someone decides that actually this marriage relationship no longer suits my choices. 
my life goals. I, I, you know, I want to pursue somebody else or something else over there. And relationships only work when both parties mutually sacrifice, when we lay down our lives for the good of the other. We gain freedom as we lose freedom, do you see? As we sacrifice and mutually commit to one another, so we actually gain freedom together in the marriage relationship. We gain, free from, uh, we gain freedom from fears, we gain freedom from loneliness, from insecurity and shame. With, but ultimately, marriage only points towards the ultimate commitment of love, which is Jesus Christ. As we commit to Jesus, as we lay down our lives to serve him and love him, we gain forgiveness, we gain freedom, we gain freedom from guilt and shame, we gain, we gain eternal life, ultimately. So you see, following Christ is not slavery to um, a, a, a master who is cruel and oppressive. Following Christ brings the ultimate flourishing and freedom and life in this life and for eternity. So the world is wrong when it comes to the self-fulfillment agenda. Our best life now is only half the story. Jesus came so that you can have the life in all its fullness today and for eternity. But that path is a path of taking up your cross and committing to love and submit and follow and love him. We have a glorious eternal inheritance coming. And when we remember that, we will be willing to take up our cross and suffer with Christ in this life. One day we will be free of all suffering in a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll also be willing to not be ashamed as well today when we experience suffering. Jesus said, 30, verse 38, this is really challenging, isn't it? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. We can sometimes be embarrassed or ashamed to follow Christ in our culture because Christian values, let's face it, don't always line up with the cultures. And are we, gonna, are we willing to take a stand on doctrines such as judgment and hell, on Jesus being the only way to God or on the, the Bible's teaching on sexual ethics? Or are we going to kind of roll over and seek a, a comfortable life, anything to keep our head down, not to ruffle feathers and just to kind of get through and, and not offend anybody. Well, Jesus said we're to take up our cross and follow. We're to submit to his agenda, not to a life of kind of comfort and ease. Sometimes following Christ in this Western cultural world in which we live will require us to literally carry a cross and stand up and follow and suffer and be rejected. It will, and increasingly so as our culture becomes more secular. Will you take up your cross, knowing that there is an eternal reward for those who are faithful in carrying a cross? Evangelism is another area, isn't it? We're, we're sometimes embarrassed or ashamed to share our faith because we think that, you know, the, the world's view out there is, well, faith is all very well, but it's an individual thing and you should keep it to yourself. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say, um, you know, keep it to yourself. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. So again, to not be ashamed of Christ is to nail our colors to the mast and witness to him in word and in deed. 
the two things we fear most in our culture of losing are certainty and comfort. And isn't it ironic that in the pandemic, God has removed both of those or allowed or allowed both of those to be removed. We no longer have certainty in, in our humanity. We're not in control of the world. Not that we ever were. I guess we deceived ourselves that we were. But the pandemic has shown us we're not in control of the world. We never were. God is sovereign. And the world is, and the pandemic has shown us that we can't have comfort outside of God. Comfort doesn't exist. Even for Western Christians today, comfort is not an option. Pandemics, um, persecution, we're not shielded from these things going forward. But what we are guaranteed from Jesus is eternal life. If we lose our lives and take up our cross, we are guaranteed to gain eternal life, fullness of life in this life and a new heaven and a new earth in the next. But we need to take up our crosses and follow. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this incredibly countercultural message of self-denial and taking up our cross. Jesus, forgive us when we look too much like the culture around us when we seek ease and comfort and we forgive us lord when we're ashamed of carrying a cross forgive us when we when we seek the most comfortable and easy life rather than being willing to take up our cross help us to stand and nail our colors to the mast jesus for you whatever comes in uh, these days in which we live whatever whatever the doctrines of the christian faith look like to the culture help us to stand up and be counted to be willing to be persecuted, to be willing to suffer, to be willing to not be ashamed of the name of Jesus. But Lord, help us to carry our cross faithfully to the end that we might inherit and gain eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Martin. Um, sometimes when I read through Martin's sermon in the week, um, the words of a song might pop in uh, to my head, perhaps just a single line. And uh, that happened this week. And the words that came into my, my mind were, all ambition now has gone, pleasing you, my only goal. Um, I imagine that's shorthand for all self-centered ambition now has gone, but that wouldn't fit. Um, so we're, we're going to close our service now by singing Far Above All Other Loves. Thank you. Far above all other loves Far beyond all other joys Heaven's blessing poured on me By the Holy Spirit's power Love's compelling power draws my heart into yours Jesus, how I love you, you're my friend and my Lord You have died and risen, so what else can I say? Now 
gone Pleasing you my only goal Motivated by your grace Living for eternity Love's compelling power draws my heart into yours Jesus, how I love you, you're my friend and my Lord You have died and risen, so what else can I say? As you can see on the screen, if you would like prayer um, and to be put into a, a breakout room, um, the number to call or text is Nigel's, um, which is on the screen there. And uh, to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord God, we, we thank you for the, the wonderful promise that awaits those who follow Jesus. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, you will enable us to put self-centeredness aside, to put the things of God first, to follow Jesus with all our hearts and our souls and our mind and our strength. And to be true disciples of, of yours with everything that that, uh, that entails. Following you and telling others about you. Holy Spirit, would you enable us to be wholehearted in our service, in our discipleship. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So thank you to everybody who's been involved in, in making the service happen this morning. Thanks to Steve and Nigel, Mark, and Janet and, and Martin. And um, I hope you all have a good week and that we can see you uh, next week. And um, 